Hello everyone. Thank you for all the love that you have shown to our first episode. I'm sure this second episode is going to be equally interesting for you. Uh, our guest today is Ms. Anuradha Goyal. She's a travel blogger, she's a speaker, she's an author. And in this episode we spoke extensively about the ancient Indian temples, the spiritual importance of the temples, the architect marvel that they are. We also connected how the stories of uh, Ramayana and Mahabharata can be traced back to these temples. We spoke about the science behind our festivals. If you are someone who loves the Indian in tradition who loves the temples who loves you know these great sagas that we have you're going to love this episode and before i let you slip into this episode a small announcement we launched the ironic show shorts channel if you're someone who loves scrolling through the short content please go ahead and subscribe to the channel we are giving to you miss anuradha goel hello anuradha ma'am how are you namaste uh, i'm very namaste, good ma'am. and i hope you all are doing great thank you ma'am thank you for joining the ironic show it has been really good that we have you on the show and the reason that uh, i reached out to you because i have already always been fascinated i mean it's not only me i believe uh, we have been fascinated by the ancient indian temples that we have around us right so we live in a society we live in a country wherein uh, the moguls have ruled the british have ruled now we are ruling the country, the entire world so there is a whole lot of amalgamation of uh, you know in different cultures different uh, styles that we have but something that stands out for us indians is the our temples the ancient temples that we have so i would really request if you can just please and lighten us uh, on your journey that you have been through to within uh, through entire india the temples that you have seen so i have um, written about my journey in a book called lotus in the stone and uh, i have uh, i've spoken about how from a very casual traveler uh, i used to work in the corporate world in the it sector and as a casual traveler i started traveling and i started writing about my travels sometimes way back in 2004 and uh, it kind of became my journey of exploring in Yeah, you know as i kept traveling my travels kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper and um eventually you know we all uh, find some things which attract us more than others so for right. me it became heritage art culture art history and all of this um, you know all of these things come together beautifully in our temples and also the fact that temples are a living heritage so whenever we go to monuments they are pretty much some relics from the past you know something that existed in the past we just have to use our imagination and see how they would have so you go to a fort and you have to imagine that you know armies used to uh, this, you know stay in these forts or they used to fight for these forts or right. they used to yes. use them to guard us so you have to use a lot of visualization because we don't live on those times but when you go to temples most of them are still living temples so the same worship that used to happen let's say 2000 years ago in some form and shape is still taking place so temples to me became a uh, became my heritage which is living you know which has uh, gone as as they say you know bina tantu tode you know without <laughs> breaking the thread you have carried forward that and also the fact that temples are not just temples you know uh, so if you live in north india you've really not seen those big grand temples which have lots of things you probably we see very smaller versions of simpler planar temples which have been built recently and randomly uh, but if you really look at the ancient temples uh, thankfully a lot of them have survived in the south of vindhyas you will see that they were not just places to worship they were places where people gathered for festivals for uh, community activities they are the place they are the, the walls of the temples are full of history they are full of stories they are full of stories from our epics so even if you have not 
right ramayana or mahabharat if you visit a tem- temple and if you observe the sculptures carefully you will be uh, conversant with the story or you'll be visually able to see the story or identify the story so to me they are a part of a living culture and that's what makes them very very fascinating i have a detailed talk on uh, different types of i have classified temples based on my own experience uh, most of the times temples get classified on the architectural style right. now which is a good way to classify them but most of those temples are royal temples, temples which were built by kings and the royal dynasty so these but, royal uh, temples ma'am that you're mentioning uh, those would be typically in the southern region of the uh, southern part of the country they have survived in the southern part of the country but they existed everywhere so okay. we have evidences of uh, or some ruins of uh, such temples even in kashmir you have such temples in uttarakhand you have glimpses i mean very close to chandigarh there is a bhima kali temple which was a right. royal temple very little of it has survived so they were there everywhere but a uh, very few of them have survived in the northern Ma'am, part of the country one point that you touched upon that uh, you mentioned that if you, if someone has read ramayan or mahabharat probably if even if not they can probably connect to those stories uh, or those you know uh, legends through the temples that we have in india so one question that i have with you so how do we connect those stories i mean suppose i am not someone who has read ramayan or mahabharat right now if i am visiting the temple so how can we connect these stories together to put it across in the in a table that okay these temples i mean depict how ramayan would have happened maybe through the architecture okay so see ramayan and mahabharat are two stories which you could have heard in some form and shape you might right. have seen it as a tv serial you might have seen it uh, as a film you might have heard it from your grandparents or you might have read it in fact most people have not read it most people have heard the story in some form or shape you know unfortunately they are not a part of our school curriculum uh, which it should be in my opinion but we could have heard it from our grandparents uh, most probably so we all know the basic story now these are huge stories you know they are long stories there is nothing as long as mahabharat you know uh, 100000 shlokas a huge story so we all know a smaller version of that story we know the basic story line of what it is now when you go to the temples two things happen and i've written in detail about this uh, in my book lotus in the stone you know when you go to let's say uh, let's, let's take ramayana now story of ramayana travels from ayodhya to sri lanka in the south briefly it goes little northeast to the mithila area karinde bihar nepal area right right this is how the story travels it's a travelogue in a way so when you travel to, even today when you travel to mithila how is sri ram treated they still treat him like the son in law var as they say in in indian languages when you travel to uh, ayodhya how is shri ram treated there he is treated there in two ways one is uh, ram lalla the infant the the boy little boy who was born in ayodhya the son of the soil and as raja ram because he ruled from ayodhya now when you come to the south let's say dandakaranya or little more south where uh, or kishkindha the current day karnataka uh, how do we see shri ram there if you visit the temples in the south you see him as kodandaram the one ram who is holding a bow in his hand okay because that's how the south indians saw him he roaming around in a tapasvi vesh but holding a bow and arrow so the story travel so if you say why do we see it like this you know because the story happened the people still remember what happened 
and they they remember the 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 characters in the same form and shape so similarly when you go to uh, mathura you see krishna as balakrishna because he spent his childhood there you know and when you go to dwaraka you see him as a family man he's always there with his extended family with his eight wives and his many sons his parents his kuldevi his guru so you see him because that's how he lived there when you go to braj area mathura area you see him with radha but when you go to dwaraka you see him with rukmini because that's that's how you that's how he lived so that's how uh, these stories are still living in our myths one this second uh, these both these stories are travels they trap you know so sri ram traveled from from ayodhya to janakpur and back he traveled from ayodhya to sri lanka and back so you with them you travel the whole country mahabharat has characters uh, from as far as gandhar in the uh, west and manipur in the east but during the one parv all the pandavas travel across the country they go down till kanyakumari and come you know they go on a teeth okay. yatra where they cover each and every teeth in the bharatvarsha so this is how they connected india these two stories connect india everybody uh, you know i have traveled to a lot of places and i haven't yet found a place which doesn't have the footprints of either shri ram or pandava Pandavas footprint can be found in every place in this country every small little place you know now i used to live in goa and goa has a a, a, a cave an ancient cave which they call pandavas cave right and they yeah. say that pandavas came here and lived and for a long time i did not believe it because in my head the story of mahabharata doesn't go there but now when i'm reading mahabharat in original i do see that they did travel through that and they must have stopped by they might have stopped there for a day or two but they did stop by there it was called aparant desha and uh, this, that's where they stopped so these two stories are integral to india because their footprints can be seen everywhere and their essence is still living in the same form and shape you know in and around us that is really fascinating actually so because of these people these characters the pandavas uh, shri ram during the ramayana so they traveled they covered all these parts so they have left traces or the temples depict that they have been here right yes. so that is really fascinating i mean for someone uh, probably who wants to again revisit the history the mythological history probably they should visit these temples to ha- understand how these the, all these stories i mean unfold that is one great thing ma'am about these temples i understand there is various architecture of various different temple different types of temples have different architectures mm-hmm. so how are they differentiated and is there a differentiation because of the the period that they were built in or because of people that they were built by yes so let's understand what is architecture you know architecture is primarily style you know so it involves a material which is usually a stone or let's say the stone temples are the ones which have survived they were probably wooden temples or they were probably temples made out of perishable material which haven't survived so the ones who have survived are the stone temples okay now uh, one is the availability of stone so temples were made using the stone that was available we do have examples of temples that were built from stone that was brought from a long distance uh, for example konark temple in odisha it's right on the banks of a sea and there is no uh, source of stone close by but it is made out of stone so they did have the technology to port stone uh, huge quantities of stone now the second is architecture is a function of two things it's a function of when it was made and who made it so it's a it carries a time stamp of the time it was created and the dynasty that it created so for example when you see hoysala temple they have a typical lattice window you know there are windows with holes 
holes in them with beautiful right. designs in them and they are known for their fine work so when you go to other temple styles so the basic grammar of a temple remains the same so the temple has garbhagriha mandapa uh, different mandapas you know smaller temples parivar devata temples so that grammar remains unchanged across the country but within that now how the shikra will be made will the mandapa have pillars or not and what will be carved on those pillars and then stylistic details they differ from place to place and time to time now those details can be a separate talk in itself but what you must understand is that the finer the work the grander the temple more prosperous those times and those kings were so the grandeur of a temple and the fine workmanship are an indicator of very very prosperous times because only a prosperous king could have sponsored that kind of work exactly or nurtured those kind of artisans who had that level of mastery so when you look at uh, the kalash natha temple in elora which has been carved out of single rock top down marvel at the craftsmanship but we must also understand there was a great engineering marvel it's a great architectural marvel so what i'm trying to say is that while you get a lot of information about different styles you you say chola temples pallava temples hoysala temples um malla temples odia uh, temples kalinga temples so you will find lot of details and uh, or documentation of what makes those styles but what we need to understand is that these are indicators of our past glory right absolutely but uh, what you should notice when you go you should notice how the what is the style of shikhara what is the style of mandapa what are the typical sculptures that are carved on the outside uh, there are torans that are different there are the the platform jagati on which the platform uh, temple stands they have different styles so they are stylistically very very different and it's also a function of the stone so for example a lot of south temples are in uh, hard stones like granite they are not easy to carve while lot of temples like um, khajurao are made out of sandstone which are very sandstone is a soft stone that is easy to carve so lot of those factors also play in uh, when you look at the architecture overall so will it be right to say i'm the kind of architecture that you're talking about and during those days right mm. today you're we are talking about such scientific developments uh, we have all the you know resources uh, resources at our disposal the stones that you mentioned that the example of odisha temple right wherein it's it's on the bank of a uh, sea and there is no way those stones could have been you know were founded there itself they must have been brought from somewhere else yes. so will Will it be right to say the architecture at that point of time was much advanced than what we have today? Absolutely, absolutely. So my favorite example is uh, let me give you three examples from three different parts of the country. Look at Brihadeshwara Temple in Tanjore, look at Kandariya Mahadev Temple in Khajuraho, and look at Kalashnatha Temple in Elora, and look at Konark or Jagannath Puri in Odisha. You know these have been standing for most more than thousand years. you know they have survived the weather conditions they have survived rain and sun they have survived invasions uh, they have survived all kinds of things and still they put us in awe they are right there in front can can you ask today's engineers and architects to recreate them and i haven't found a yes as of now every time somebody says oh do you think india was more advanced than now and i say can you recreate and the answer is no which okay. means that what we think as advancement is not really that advanced as our ancestors were 
but what i want and i'm not i don't want to say that we are not advanced i mean without getting into the debate of who was more advanced i would say can our current architects take inspiration from these and create similar architecture for us rather than creating steel and glass boxes because these architectures are more suited for our weather conditions they are sustainable they are long lasting they have been built for generations so my bigger concern is that we are not taking inspiration from them because we just see them as nice temples we don't see them as engineering marvels we don't see them as civil engineering marvels we don't see them as a great amalgamation of engineering aesthetics architecture culture art history storytelling spirituality religion everything put together everything brought together so beautifully that you actually miss seeing the engineering and uh, architecture in your face uh, that's a great point actually when we or anyone for that matter goes to a temple it's only because of the religious faith or the pujas that we do right when we are visiting a temple we hardly look at the kind of architecture that temple has the history behind that the efforts that have been put to make that temple which has been standing for the last maybe 7000 years 2000 years at least right so that's actually a very different way and very practical way to look at it right. yes definitely the religious sentiments are there but when you are going to going to such a temple so we should actually appreciate the efforts that have been put in yes we should notice that everything comes together but we should not downplay the religion part because right. that spiritual faith has sustained the temple. exactly exactly that's exactly. the core of that's the essence of. so ma'am i belong uh, so my native place is deoghar which is one of the 12 jyotirlingas known as badrinath dham <laughs> right so since childhood we have heard about this pilgrimage sites or the tirth tirth yatras as we call it right right so can we draw a map how the tirth yatra in whole of india happens from where to where and what are the pilgrimage sites in india and if we can just throw light some what are the maybe some highlights about these places you know um so uh, we have a very uh, western way of looking at india so when we say you know i a lot of time in interviews people say tell me one best temple one tell me one best destination Now, what is best for me may not be best for you right absolutely right and also the fact that um india was full of pilgrimage sites only a few of them have survived some of them are these 12 jyotirlingas uh, 51 shakti peeps although shakti peeps are uh, in a state where they can we can do much more for them right then uh, you know there are uh, depends so i would say the spiritual map of india depends on your so if you are a shiva then these 12 jyotirlingas there are 84 shiva kshetras they become important for you so for example pashupati nath in uh, kathmandu is not really a jyotirling but is it any less important than a jyotirling not really for anybody okay. who believes in uh, shiva is it's a place to go right so if you are a devi bhakt then those 51 shakti peeps and your gram devi and your kul devi become important uh, if you are a ganpatya then you know places associated with ganpati or surya or vishnu uh, become important so the spiritual map really depends on you then there are these moksha daini saptapuris you know so there is one shlok which says ayodhya mathura maya kashi kanchi avantika puri dwaravati chaiva saptet moksha daini so these seven cities i am i can repeat it for you ayodhya maya is haridwar ayodhya mathura maya so ayodhya mathura maya which is haridwar kashi kanchi avantika kashi is varanasi kanchi is kanchipuram in south india right. very close to chennai avantika is ujjain in uh, okay. in madhya pradesh mahakal uh, place mahakal kshetra and then dwaraka 
in the western coast so these seven cities are called mokshadaini cities and all these cities are associated with either shiva or vishnu or devi so kashi is uh, kashi vishwanath mahakal yeah. is in ujjain you know and wish with associated with krishna avatar you have mathura and dwarka uh, kanchipuram is a very siddha devi kshetra so it depends on how you want to look at it there are yuga tirthas i have a complete lecture on sacred geography of india so there are uh, yuga kshetra so in uh, they say that in krita yuga there used to be namisharanyam which is close to lucknow in up in treta yuga it used to be pushkar which is in rajasthan in dwapar it was kurukshetra kurukshetra is in haryana and in kaliyug in the current times it is the ganga which is the biggest teeth in today's time ganga is the most important teeth for us kaliyuga so depends which lens you look at and because hinduism is not something which says you know this one thing is more important what is what is important for you depends on who's your ishtadeva who's your right. kula devata you know who's your grama devata so that becomes more important for you than anything else so but mota mota if i have to say then these three four places or these seven cities have become the most important tirthas which one can easy today one can easy at some point in time they were not so easy to do but today most of these tirthas are easy to do. okay thanks a lot ma'am i have one more question around our festivals right we have so many festivals across india it's a huge huge country and it's a varied uh, you know caste religion then there are sub castes and every religion has their own festivals so now i'm sticking just to the Hindu religion part of it. In Hindu religion also, we have various festivals, Diwali, Holi. Mm-hmm. So, what I would like to know, we celebrate these festivals. I mean, we have the basic idea about the stories behind probably all these festivals. So, can you please help us at least, uh, you know, know the science and the mythological story behind at least some of the uh, major festivals that we have in India? Could be Diwali, Holi, Navratris. Yeah. So, for Navratri, you must read my book on Navratri, sure, uh, which, sure, which documents uh, the Navratri celebrations in sixteen different kshetras of India. So, uh, let's understand the festival calendar of it. So, if you take one year, uh, typically our year starts on Chaitra Pratipada, which is uh, which is also celebrated as Yogadi or uh, with various names, Chaitra Navratri when they start. Most of the communities. start their new year then but some communities also have a different date to start their but whichever day you start so if you look at the annual calendar the festivals actually follow a cosmic cycle you know so there is something called parva now parva is a term that we end up using for festivals it's a it's used right. as a synonym but parva actually means uh, there are five parvas parvas every month so which are those parvas every amavasya every purnima every ashtami and every sankranti so every month you have these five things and these five things are the parvas and if you see most of our most of our uh, festivals fall on these parvas so either you have them on amavasya or on uh, purnima so diwali comes on amavasya holi comes on purnima so they all fall on those parvas so there is a cosmic calendar but again you know depends on depending on what you follow so if you are a vishnu bhakt ekadashi becomes more important if you are a shiv bhakt pradosh which is the 13th of every fortnight becomes more important you know so it depends on what you follow again and then uh, let me tell uh, let me give you the example of kumbh mela now kumbh mela happens once in 12 years why only 12 why not 10 years why not 5 years why not 15 years why only 12 years? Right. because kumbh mela is following the path of guru or jupiter in the sky now jupiter goes around the earth or you know with respect to earth the journey of 
Jupiter is such that it completes a cycle in 12 years. So when it comes back at the same point, the Kumbh Mela happens. So the actual original Kumbh Mela is the Haridwar Kumbh Mela because it happens when Guru is in the Kumbh Rashi, is in the sign of Aquarius. Okay. So when Jupiter is in the sign of Aquarius, the Kumbh Mela at Haridwar happens. When it is in the sign of Capricorn, Makar in Indian languages, then the Prayag Kumbh happens. So it's actually not Kumbh Mela in Prayag, it's actually Makarastha Mela in Prayag. So when it is in the Leo sign or Simha Rashi, it happens in Nasik and Ujjain. That's why those Kumbh Melas are called Simhas. So they all happen at an interval of 12 years because the Jupiter comes back to the same Rashi in 12 years. So lot of lot of our festivals are actually following a cosmic cycle and the stories have come from uh, different Itihas Puranas and every uh, region again has different stories associated with those festivals. Uh, the common story of Holi, Holika Dehen is uh, is very popular of how, you know, Hiranyakashipa and Holika uh, story is there. In Diwali, we say that uh, Sri Ram came back home. You know, Sri Ram came back from Sri Lanka to Ayodhya. So Ayodhya celebrated his return. But that's one of the stories. There are there are other stories. So 15 days after Diwali, we have Kartik Purnima, which is celebrated as Dev Deepavali. And uh, in Skandapuran, we have Kartik Mas Mahat, where it says that the whole of Kartik Mas, you should actually be lighting a lot of years because that's when the sky is at its darkest. So on the night of Diwali, the sky is at the darkest. So that's why we created a festival where a lot of diyas are lit. So there's a lot of light that we, uh, deep dan it's called, but there a lot of lighting up happens during that time. And there are a lot of stories for each festival. For Navaratri, we say that uh, the nine nights of the Devi. So she's celebrated for nine nights in nine different Swarupa. Again, the celebration differs. So in North India, we have something called Kanya Puja, where right, Kanyas yes. are invited and Kanya Puja is done. If you go to the Bengal side, then, you know, Durga is invited and uh, Durga is created. Uh, if you come to the South India, they do a lot of Sumangali Puja. You know, they invite women and they do Puja. So the idea is to see divine in what is available around you. You can see them in young girls. You can see them in married women. You can see them in a, a Pinamran Murti or clay um, Murti. You can also see uh, when you look at Durga Puja and every community has some form of it. You create Durga. You worship her for nine days and then she goes back from where she's come. Now you can think of her coming back from, the, from her loka to our loka. Or you can think of her as being created out of the clay and then she again becomes the clay. So we get the clay from the river, create her, worship her and then she again goes back and merges with the same clay. Now, what is happening? We are recreating the cosmic cycle of creation, sustenance and dissolution. What in Hindi or Sanskrit we would say? Srishti, Sthiti and Samhar. Srishti, creation, Sthiti, sustenance or maintenance and Samhar means dissolution which is merging back with where you came so uh, if you understand them at a deeper level all the festivals are recreating a cosmic event and in a way reminding you that you know wherever you may be today you have to go back and merge back into the same thing that you came from. so isn't that the whole uh, truth of life absolutely so our festivals are celebration of what is but a reminder of the larger truth to ne not let us forget that larger truth 
that was some heavy stuff ma'am uh, it will take some time to absorb everything and to then again you know uh, you want just... me to talk in a simpler manner no i think that was really really enlightening actually ma'am i i believe that there is there are, this is just the first episode that we are doing with you i believe we'll have main, you have many more episodes inside you because <laughs> i know that you are also into skand puran you are into mahabharat and all so for today's session we'll stick to the temples and i think we have covered a lot of uh, stuff that even me the listeners will have to absorb and then maybe uh, process it further i have not question i just wanted to know about your uh, book the lotus in the stones if you can please tell us something about the book so i have many books i have three books on temples it's called devalaya series uh, so there are three books are published and there will be some more in the series so the first book is called unusual temples of india where i have talked spoken about temples which are very different they are not temples dedicated to shiva vishnu uh, devi okay. they are they are temples which even if they are dedicated to them there are some very unusual things just to give you the diversity of the, of our spiritual traditions you know so that's my uh, first book in that series unusual temples of india the second uh, book in that series is cave temples because cave temples are the oldest temples and caves are also the places where most of our rishi munis had uh, uh, their uh, ashrams with like this is where they meditated and the initial dwellings also you know even we lived in uh, initially right. in the caves right. you know our dwellings were caves so if the temples were caves and lot of um, important temples continue to be in caves for example example amarnath uh, jyotirling it still continues to be in a cave and lot of temples you'll see have been created in the form of caves uh, so cave temples is one uh, second book in the devale series and the third uh, in the devale series is devi temples of india again devi temples have uh, a lot of diversity there are shakti peeths there are siddh peeths there are gram devis there are kul devis uh, there are devis uh, you know there are sati temples where the uh, the women who did something very 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 miraculous or very very courageous they were uh, seen as the swarup of shakti and their temples were there so uh, these are three and the fourth one is in the making hopefully you'll get it soon the lotus and the stone is my personal journey as a traveler how i started uh, discovering india and how i became from a casual traveler to a pilgrim how i discovered india how i discovered the cultural nuances of india how i discovered the invisible threads that connect in you know what is it that connects a uh, let's say a tamil speaking uh, person to uh, a kashmiri speaking person to a ahmia speaking person you know it is our common faith the moment you tell them uh, you know tell them that this person is like hanuman they know what it means it means that right. this person is dependable he'll move mountains if need be so that understand common understanding of some of these nuances is what i have captured in lotus and bestone uh, besides that i have co-edited a book with dr vivek debroy uh, it's called navaratri when devi comes home uh, where we have documented 16 different um, kshetras including nepal how they celebrate navaratri again it brings in unity and diversity apparently everybody uh, celebrates navaratri in a very very different way but if you see the underlying process it remains more or less the same the essence remains more Less the same. So that is one book. Then I have translated Ayodhya Mahatmya from Skandapuram, uh, which is um, about each and every Tirthakshetra in Ayodhya, and I've recreated the map of Ayodhya based on my own travels in Ayodhya. So um, that's something I'm really proud of, and I'm really blessed Great, to have done that. And we um, think that we can have more of these. I mean, on your books and. 
the travel experiences that we have yes. in our further episodes thank you anuradha ma'am this was really uh, you know something learning from me for the viewers and we really hope that you enjoyed the show because i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, we hope to have you soon again on the show sure look forward to and wish you all the best for your show thank you ma'am and Thanks may you always have the blessings of your easter thank you